Well, if you're not a vegan, does that disqualify you as a caring person? Does that make you a stubborn and selfish individual? And should Christians be concerned about the global warming, given that Christ's return is imminent? Stick around to find out. SAF Podcast brings to you the coherent, cohesive, logical, and relevant defense of the Christian worldview. From laymen to experts in the field, everyone can tune in and be equipped. We also aim to introduce to the audience the plethora of work and research done in the field of Christian apologetics in defending the faith and the individuals who further the intellectual cause of Christianity by featuring the greatest minds of the Christian apologetics arena. Welcome to SAFT Podcast and if it is your first time here watching the interaction on YouTube, staying subscribed to the channel will help you keep up to date on the content that come out. But if you're listening on any music or any other podcasting platforms, staying subscribed there will also keep you updated on contents and any reviews or ratings that you drop on platforms like Apple Podcast will help widen our work. And I am very thrilled and excited to welcome Zandra Carroll for the very first time to SAFT Podcast. Zandra, we are thrilled to have you here. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So Zandra is a speaker at RZIM and she has a degree in biological science and did studies in apologetics at the famed OCA, the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. She launched a ministry in Colorado to train students in apologetics and evangelism. And she also teaches a six-week course in apologetics for the local churches. And her research area focuses mostly on parasitology, flow cytometry, and ecological restoration. I must admit that I have no idea what those three actually are. So <laughs> well, I guess, you said them perfectly, so well done. <laughs> so I guess we can start off with that. What, what are those three areas and why do they uh, encourage you? Yeah, so parasitology is the study of parasites, um, which I find absolutely fascinating. I think parasites are very interesting. Um, consequently, after I began studying parasites, uh, my social life sort of plummeted because people uh, were sort of nervous <laughs> hanging out with me. I also did some work with viruses later on, uh, which also didn't help. Uh, I need to start studying koala bears or something cuddly. <laughs> Probably that would be better. Um, and then flow cytometry is a fascinating science. Uh, it has to do with um, uh, attaching a fluorochrome, which is sort of like a uh, fluorescent, colorful, glowing sort of light bulb that sticks onto a certain cell surface. And it can tell you information about what's going on inside of that cell, um, such as if the cell is dying, if it's healthy, uh, sort of like tapping into the telephone mm. line of a cell to find out what's going on inside. So that was very exciting research. I really enjoyed it. So then I, would, I wouldn't be wrong in assuming that you're very much of a na nature-oriented person because I see that on Facebook, you update, I think on a weekly basis, photos about exciting new uh, creatures, birds and animals that you come across. So Yes. Yeah. So, new animals are being discovered every week. It's just incredible. And so, and my master's degree was in, um, in restoration, ecological mm -hmm. restoration. So that has to do more with the macro scale of plants and animals and things like that. So um, I moved from the very tiny to the very big scale. And so I am, yeah, I'm very passionate about new discoveries being made. All right. All right. Excellent. So uh, let's get right into the topic of today's podcast. And this is a very 
novel topic that i am looking at um i actually stumbled across the relevance of this topic on on the question of um why veganism and other such topics are relevant to christians now when i recently saw the video by cosmic skeptic the famous youtuber alex o'connor and he was talking about humans biggest cognitive dissonance and he said that our cognitive dissonance is that we would be a repulsed uh, at the act of someone um, harming a, a, a duckling or a chicken or a chick uh, because so cute and cuddly and if someone were to torture it we would be repulsed at it but we would have no trouble having eggs for breakfast so uh, he is a, a well outspoken vegan and uh, the point that i came to see is that veganism is now being presented as a moral high ground as if that is the path that everyone has to uh, venture on it is one driven by empathy for animals and the earth and as i come to see i see many non christians holding to that position and being contrasting with christians and saying hey we are driven by empathy for animals and the planet earth you guys don't seem to be driven with that and yet we see christians charged biblically to be in charge of the garden of eden and also permitted to eat meat throughout throughout scripture so, so is this a cause of concern in this new age where we are dealing with different forms of evangelization different topics different hurdles to the gospel is this a cause of concern for the moral ground of the christian not as in a uh, concern for the uh, grounding level of morality as what is a source of morality but in other sense that um, are we at a disadvantage position sharing about empathy and caring and others if we are not a vegan mm that's a wonderful question jacob and it's something that i've i've certainly thought through a lot um and some of my closest friends are actually vegetarian or vegan Hmm. um and and a lot of the reasons that they give as you so rightly pointed out have to do with ethics have to do with morality surrounding animal cruelty how animals are treated um as they're being processed and mm-hmm. um for meat so some of some of these friends that i've mentioned are hindu some of mm-hmm. them are atheist but some of them are actually christian so some of them are christian and they have decided to abstain from eating meat because they uh they feel that it's not morally justifiable. So as we approach this question, which is a very important question, uh I think it's important to remember there are different kinds of people who have this diet and for a myriad of reasons. And mm-hmm. one right. thing that I do admire or one thing that I've learned from some of my vegan and vegetarian friends um has to do with consumer education, right? Mm, right. Consumer education because you and I are the consumers. so we get to vote with our wallet what right. we're going what we're going to buy is what people are going to produce for us so it's a consumer driven culture and um we're living in a really incredible time jacob where you know i could go to the grocery store right now and i could buy um i could buy fruits from south america and vegetables from asia and nuts from the middle east and go home and cook a dinner and have the entire world on my plate it's really incredible but but there's a high level of responsibility that comes with that high level of freedom hmm. and none of our decisions about food are easy uh to make right there's a time cost in understanding you know doing the research and understanding what we what we want to buy and then there's also sort of an actual cost a financial cost sometimes buying food that's responsible costs more mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't want to do that so it all comes back to balancing you know um ethics environment economics and efficiency as we can call them the four e's as my friend calls this but as it, we bring it all back to the meat question right is it wrong to eat meat um one argument has to do with 
um, the deforestation of the rainforest. So a lot of people will abstain from eating certain types of meat like beef because mm -hmm. they don't want to contribute to what's happening to our rainforest, right? Where, right. where you see slash and burn to create pasture land so you mm -hmm. can grow cows, so yeah. you can have cows and, and produce beef. Um, or of course the abuse of animals, which I think is probably the main ones, which, which and that does happen. And that's something mm, that we yeah. should be aware of. And this all comes back to, as we look at this from a Christian perspective, this all comes back to our responsibility to God. What is our responsibility to God in this area? Because as I read the Bible, I, I read about a God who cares for his creation and who cares for animals. And I think we should too, right? We read all through um, Deuteronomy, a lot of the, and even a lot of the Levitical texts, which talk about laws pertaining to animals, how we treat them. Do not mm. muzzle the ox while he treads grain is, is one that's commonly used. And also a lot of Proverbs talk about this, how we shine the love of God by how we treat animals. Um, Proverbs 12, 10, for example, says, the righteous care for the needs of the animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. I find mm. that very interesting that, that there's sort of a moral judgment there of a person's righteousness, depending upon how they treat their animals. Now, this is talking about a direct treatment of an animal, right? But I still think we can contribute to animal cruelty if we're not careful. So it all comes back to the question, how am I valuing this animal? How am I valuing God's right. creation? Um, now, you are right to mention Eden, too, because this is all part of God's design, right? We, we are, we have little canines right here, right? We're designed to eat meat. <laughs> so certainly, and, and certainly biologically, um, we're designed to gain nutrition hmm. from meat. So we have to take that into consideration as well. Now, I don't think that use denotes abuse. Use does not equal abuse. Hmm. So using an animal does not mean you're automatically abusing it, but we do need to be sensitive hmm. and exercise our wisdom to to see the difference and i always come back to what paul said on this jacob because he always said you know if for example you take first corinthians 8 where he talks about meat sacrifice to idols mm -hmm. and he says if food makes my brother stumble i will right. never eat meat lest i make right. my brother stumble so i'm not going to go to my to my vegan friends and eat, eat a bunch of meat in front of them because i want to be sensitive mm -hmm. i want to be sensitive to their moral convictions but at the same time, I have a different view. I don't think that eating meat is morally wrong, but I do want to be wise and careful about how I'm eating meat and where I'm getting it from. Right. And it's an interesting point that you said about how use does not denote abuse. But, mm -hmm. but there would be others who argue that by buying these um, mass scale produced meat, aren't we promoting animal abuse? Because it's it's because of a high demand that they have to provide high supply. So... Are we then in some way indirectly contributing towards or are we in some way indirectly condoning um, animal abuse? Mm. A couple of things on that. And wonderful question again. Thank you for that. Um, I, think, I think one thing to keep in mind is going back to consumer education, taking the time to read labels and understand what do the labels mean? What does free range actually mean when it says a chicken is free range? What does that actually look like? for the chicken, right? It's just, just to name one random animal. I mean, we could do this with anything. So um, I could take the time to do the research and look at what that means and what I think is right for purchasing eggs that are X, Y, or Z 
And obviously I'm going to have to take into consideration what I can afford and what's right. Um, and, and I have friends who only eat meat once a day instead of three meals a day, right? Because, because they aren't sure where it's coming from and they want to minimize their contribution to animal abuse as much as possible. I have other friends who will only buy meat from one certain company that they know has the strictest standards Mm -hmm. in animal husbandry. And the way that they husband their animals is incredibly ethical, very careful. So again, this comes back to, I think a lot of this comes back to personal choice, Hmm. but it is, it's an act of worship when we take the time to care for God's creation, that's actually an act of worship. So I would encourage anyone who's watching this um, to, to consider prayerfully asking the Lord what he would have you do with regards to our eating habits. Yeah, that's that's very powerful because we all we at certain points think that seeking God's will or being in a prayerful mode to to understand what God wants us to do is only when we are going for studies or when we are uh, planning to find uh, our partner and only in those big decisions. But God is yeah. not just the God of the Red Sea and Jericho, but He's also the God of the small rivers of Jordan where He steps and acts. So He has to be Lord in and all and everything. So mm-hmm. um, so then what you are pointing out to be the Christian position is that. Even though animals don't have intrinsic moral values or a soul, our responsibility towards them comes from God's command to be caring. So then God has to remain first and foremost as the moral and ethical focal point throughout all discussions of environment, animal husbandry, and even consumerism in that case as well, right? Exactly. Well summarized. Okay, so uh, another point that keeps uh, popping up in, in the news it's almost every day is the point of uh, global warming. And uh, mm-hmm. there are many people who would go on a frenzy and claim that, you know, the preservation of the earth is of utmost importance as if that mm-hmm. if, we, if we don't do anything right now, uh, we would lead to annihilation of all life within the next few decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we would go, we're going to unpack this uh, a little more as we entered in the intro as well, uh, concerning to Christ's second coming as well. But is such alarmism should where do the christians draw the line in the face of such extreme alarmism because um, as you are also aware the green new deal mentioned 12 years i mean that is super close so it's it's uh, demanding massive overhaul but that seems too alarmist to people uh, keeping aside all the scientific data and all of that uh, where do christians draw an alarmism yeah there is a lot of alarmism out there which can be so frustrating um and a lot of it is coming from American politicians, um, sadly, as you mentioned. Well, Ocasio-Cortez actually said that last year we have 12 years. So I guess now we're down to 11, 11. Um, which is even worse. So, um, But these claims do stir up a lot of fear and we need to be careful. We need to look at the evidence and use our God-given rational minds to assess these claims. Um, alarmist rhetoric in and of itself, I think, has done a lot of harm to climate science, to conservation Mm -hmm. biology, to a lot of these fields, which are trying to gain data, analyze it, and publish peer-reviewed materials for Mm -hmm. people to to view. And so this alarmism um, is often a form of emotionalism, which can just cause panic and anxiety. And we serve a God who casts out fear, right? We serve a God who tells us not to be crippled by anxiety but to Mm. cast our anxieties on him. He's the Prince of Peace. Um, Now, that being said, that being said, to to, to say the preservation of the earth is more important than anything else doesn't make sense. Mm. 
such as uh, human salvation. How, but we do want to be mindful of what's going on. We've got right. to be mindful of what's going on. We're supposed to care. We're supposed to be involved. And we need to pay attention and respond in this situation with integrity as citizens of the new heaven and the new earth. Because this earth is part of our inheritance, right? It will be renewed. And I don't know what that looks like, what that's going to look like, but I do know it's going to be awesome. Uh, the overall point is that this physical world is important to God. I really believe it is important to God. Jesus' physical body was restored. He physically rose from the grave. And that is significant. We will physically be be restored we will physically rise mm, at the right, end of right. all time and that is also important so i think the physical earth does matter and the restoration of it matters just like the physical fall mattered in genesis mm. so we should pay attention to what's happening around us and we should stay alert um that doesn't mean alarmism okay that doesn't mm. mean alarmism but when when i read the new testament and some of the parables that jesus gives i hear him saying again and again stay awake pay attention, right? We read all sorts of parables, especially in Mark about the man who goes on a journey. He leaves his home. He puts the servants in charge and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Right. And then he says, therefore, you all stay awake for you don't know when the master of the house will come. He's mm -hmm. the master of the house. We are the servants, right? This earth right. is his. We're just stewards of it. Um, and, and we have to, as followers of Christ, not hide in a hole, and just wait for him to come back. Um, our job is to stay awake, stay alert, be aware of what's going on around us and prayerfully consider what he would have us do in response. Um, so that's just another thing to consider. Yeah, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So uh, mm -hmm. the point that you said about how alarmism might impact our scientific inquiry is very relevant because at, at points it might look like um, even if we see data contrary to the common narrative, out of fear of being ostracized as a conspiracy theorist, we may be uh, held back in in pointing out the data as it is. So, uh, so that is also very key to the entire, entire enterprise of scientific inquiry. And uh, touching to the point of the how Christ's return comes into play, like if a Christian mm -hmm. says, "Hey, at the end of the day, this is all going to uh, be rolled up and taken away, and the new earth and a new heaven is coming. Christ's return is going to be soon." So what if we just pollute a bit more? What if our carbon footprint is a bit more? I mean, if you get the job done, um, how does this all matter eventually? Because we're not looking at this planet Earth to be sustained for eternity. Because I, I recall um, an interesting dialogue that one of my former church pastor's son said to his mother when she was making study for the exams, he said, well, Christ is going to come back soon. So why does all these exams matter anymore? <laughs> so, so for someone who might ask uh, in that same manner, why should we be worried so uh, about preserving this earth? Like, as you said, if this is going to be uh, removed and if a new earth and a new heaven is going to come. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And actually, sometimes I'm not sure I, I can fully agree with removal hmm. and that whole rhetoric. Um, see, our world is temporary in form, but not in essence. So when we read through the scriptures, we see that God's creation is going to be renewed, not annihilated. There, there's more of a right. picture of, of a renewal there. Right. So some people have this idea that the world and the cosmos and the universe and everything that we have around us is going to be just 
obliterated at the end of the age. And that might be the case. But when I read scripture, I see something a bit different being described mm-hmm. there. I see how when God sends his spirit out, he renews the faith of the earth and how, um, as Paul writes, all of creation is groaning, waiting to be restored, hmm. not waiting to be annihilated or obliterated. Right. Um, so so that, that's one thing um, that, that strikes me. Also, the statement, well, God is coming back, so there's no need to care, really devalues the hmm. natural world, which God himself claimed was valuable. Because remember in Genesis how every time the Lord spoke and created something, he stood back and he said, what? It It is is good. good. Exactly. So that's a value judgment. That's a value Mm -hmm. statement about his creation. He's saying, I care about this. This is valuable. This is very good. And if he thinks it's valuable, what should we think about it? Right. I think we should probably think it's valuable too. So the physical earth matters to God. And it should matter to us as well. Now, there are limits. There are boundaries to what we can do um, with regards to to uh, the, the preservation, management, and restoration of the natural environment. Because we aren't God, mm-hmm. right? We aren't him. We aren't creators. But we are stewards of the earth. He is king of the earth. As you said before, Jacob, uh, which I loved, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It is so true. It belongs to him. And, and what are things going to look like when he comes back, like that parable of the master coming back to the house? What are we going to be doing? Are we going to mm. be dumping a ton of plastic in our ocean when he comes back and sort of look over our shoulder and go, oops, you weren't supposed to see that. And hopefully not. For right. example, I mean, let's say that, um, let's say my car breaks down and you very kindly offer me your car. I don't know if you have a car, Jacob, but let's pretend that you do. And let's pretend that you kindly offer it to me to, to borrow for a week or whatever. And so I'm driving your car around and enjoying myself. And maybe I'm not that careful with it. Maybe I actually crash it into a tree, but it's not that bad. So I just keep going and I throw all of my garbage in the back seat. And I, I bring this car back to you with no gas in it. It's smoking. It's a mess. It's got scratches and dents all over it and it's full of trash. I mean, what does that say about how I valued mm. the car that you kindly lent me? And what does that say about our friendship? Right. right. But if I if I am going to actually value that car and if I'm going to value our friendship, I'm going to fill it up with gas. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to vacuum the seats before I give it back. to I'm going to give it to you in, as in perfect condition as possible because it's valuable to me because it matters. So I think when we look at this earth, we shouldn't just sit back and say, well, let's let's trash it. Let's mm-hmm. make a mess of it because it, it's not, it, you know, it belongs to God and he'll fix it and he'll make everything right in the end. That's it's not kind. Mm-hmm. It's not respectful to him. And it's not respectful to the earth. Right. It lacks integrity. As John Stott used to say, this life isn't just about being Christian. It's about being a disciple. Wow. So a lot of people think that being Christian means, you know, you give your, your life to Christ and then you sit back and you relax and you wait mm. for him to come back. I don't think that's what our life, our lives are supposed to look like. I think we're supposed to respond to Jesus when he says, come and follow me. So it's more about discipleship and asking, where is he going? What is he doing? I want to get on board with that. I don't want to be an apathetic Christian. Mm. I mean, because that would be my loss. That would honestly be my loss. Right. Um, And the beauty of discipleship is God is inviting us into what he is doing because he loves us, not because he needs us. And uh, Jesus says this, right? Let your Mm. light shine before men so they may see your good works 
and give glory to your father in heaven. Mm. Our actions point people to Christ. When people look at us as a Christian community, what do our actions say about God? I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say? No, that's that's very powerful. I mean, that analogy is spot on. It mm. it ties the entire point together, and also it points it points very critically to how we use yet we do not misuse or abuse. Um, and the end. So then, the entire Christian point undergirds the rigid commitment of all Christians. to care for and preserve nature because at the end of the day as you pointed out we are just towards of the environment um we are put in charge we to to look at what we see here and we may pluck the tree a fruit of fruit of the tree and eat at the end of the day we are still in charge of the entire uh, nature and plants and animals and the kingdoms of the animal kingdom and preserve it so i think christians are more uh, of have more moral and ethical grounding um, than uh, um, an atheist to say that yes this nature has to be preserved for because if at the end of the day we are all looking at mere macro evolution survival of the fittest and every creature is looking after its own to survive why care about whether you're torturing animals or not hey you're surviving so christians have the moral high ground to claim for the preservation and the purpose of nature mm-hmm. and uh, as we come to a close this past one here we have seen about how we have so little control about uh, of our environment and that has thrown many of us into a, a frenzy that we have never undergone how does a christian in the face of these environmental calamities that has uh, struck the entire world and not just the region but the entire world where, where our life has come to almost a standstill how does a christian stay anchored in christ hmm. so you're talking about like natural disasters and things like that yes overall like like we just saw right now with with the covid yeah. situation Yes, with the COVID situation, um with the hurricanes that have gone through Central mm-hmm. America, just torn through Central America, so many um so many struggles. Um I think for one thing it's important to remember that the natural brokenness that we see is part of the brokenness that entered into this world because of sin. Um and and so a lot of these disasters are just completely out of our control, right? um but our response to them is very important and and oftentimes it's okay to say you know i don't know why this happened but mm. i do know what my response is supposed to be as right. a christian i right. know what my response is supposed to be i am supposed to love i'm supposed to step up you know it's when there's a disaster a lot of people will run away but the christians historically are the ones who have stayed when the black plague swept through europe it was the christians who stayed behind in the towns where everyone else hmm. had fled and cared for the dying and cared for those who were infected with the disease um so our response as christians is to be present and to be the 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 feet and the hands of christ um right. it recently with with the hurricanes that tore through honduras um actually later today i'm going to be meeting with a representative from one of the largest conservation groups in the world and it's a christian group this conservation group is christian uh and they they specialize in restoration and since that's my master's degree i've been asked to come in and assess some areas in honduras that were affected by a landslide and see mm-hmm. if we can reforest this area and this is a missions effort right this is a mm, missions right. group is going to restore the land because that is part of um that's just part of worshiping god So natural disasters they are horrific they are terrible and it's part of living in this plane 
as part of living in this existence. When I think of Christ as our anchor, I, I like how you use that word, you know, the anchor to the soul. I think of us as being in a different plane, right? Because you're on the ship up here floating on the water and down below, deep, deep in the water where you can't see there's an anchor that you're tethered to. And that's like Christ. Christ has gone before us. He has gone through the veil. He right. is there. Now mm. we are are not in the kingdom of heaven, but we've been promised that one day we will fully join him there. But until that time, we know that we are tethered to him. Come hell or high water, we will never be torn away hmm. from, from his love, from his peace. So remembering that um, in these times of natural disaster, I think is incredibly important. We have a lot to hold on to. We have a person to hold on to who will never forsake us and never leave us. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, thank you so much, Sandra, for being here with us and unpacking these very relevant. And um, I must say, this was sort of like a minefield for me because I was also trying to figure out how to uh, calibrate my responses to these topics. But I have I am more informed and I must say more effective right now in dealing with these objections if I face this in my goal of evangelization. Um, once again, thank you, Sandra, for being here with us. We hope you too enjoyed uh, our time on SAF podcast. I do. Thank you so much for having me. Well, to our audience, this was the last episode of SAF Podcast for the year 2020. And we're still on schedule. We'll be back with the next episode soon. So stay uh, tuned in and we'll catch you in the next one. God bless.